from the Wholehearted Wednesday. Today we hear Heather Tallheimer interview Hamisi Juma and his experience being in a refugee camp for seven years, moving from Congo to America, and eventually becoming the president of a nonprofit here in the States. It's a great episode. Hope you enjoy. Welcome. My name is Heather Talheimer, and welcome to Wholehearted Wednesday. At Wholehearted, we offer a heart-centered community and personal growth, and it's my great honor today to interview Hamisi Juma. I've known Hamisi for several years now, and he's someone that's always inspired me because of his passion for community. He came to Manchester, New Hampshire as a refugee a number of years ago, and I met him as he developed Safari Youth Club to support the youth of his community immigrants and refugees from actually anywhere. And just seeing his investment in his community, his passion to support young people and people of the Congolese community just inspired me greatly. And so I want to welcome you today to Wholehearted Hamisi. And I'm wondering if I missed anything out about some of the roles or responsibilities you play in your community, if there's anything you would like to add. Hi, my name is Hamisi Juma. I'm originally from Congo. I'm living in United States, Manchester, New Hampshire. I'm a father of four, and I'm running a non-profit organization, Safari Youth Club. And this one is one of my passion and one of my mission about my life. Because in the life we have mission, and this mission just is not only stuck on me, just stuck for everything you are doing, every step you are taking, just the mission we try to accomplish to just finish your day at the earth. My name is Hamisi Juma. I'm here doing my job, taking care of my family. Is that what I can say? Okay, well, thank you, Hamisi. Well, I thought we could get to know you a little bit better because your story really moved me. You know, we there's a lot of conversation right now about immigration, about the refugees coming to America. And I felt like, Often in life, we live very kind of just connected to people who are like us. And I felt that we're neighbors. You're my neighbor. And I want to get to know you and understand your story and what brought you here. And also, what made you into the incredible person that I know you are? Tell us a little bit about your story. I know that you fled your home village when you were just a young man, maybe like 18 or so. So like, what happened? What happened on that day? I'm going to say it was a Tuesday. Mm. I think it was, I forget the name, but the date, but I think it was just like 26 October 1996. I was 11 at that time when those civil wars started from the late president, uh, Kabila came to chase Lei Mobutu, the president at that time. So we were there. We just had a lot of uh, gunshots, a lot of bombs, and it ended up to get to the point like we just see like six of the our neighbor houses exploded. So we had to just get out there. My dad just like make us like, okay, we gotta flee. We're gonna leave the houses because it seems like we're gonna just be dead. So we just left the house. It was around 4 p.m. So we left the house. We just we didn't know where we we're going. And at that time, we went to Kabare. We ended up to Kabare, where we stayed there for a week. And then after that, 
we came back to my city where we stayed there with those crazy stuff, with those killing people. And we stayed there up to when we get to 2002, when the rebel again came to the city, Uvira, when they start fighting. And then we get separated. We had to leave the house. So we went to a crazy place, crazy forest, no food, crazy. People get hungry, people get killed. But all of those ways we just end up to, we finally get to the place. We say like, okay, over here we are kind of safe. So I, we end up to Tanzania, where they took us to refugee camp. And that way my life starts like being more responsible be like, uh, get more responsibility for my family because I was the oldest. How, how old were you, Hamisi? I was 17. You were 17 at that time. Yeah. Can I ask you, Hamisi, when you were in the forest, how long did you live in the forest? We stayed there for 21 days. From where we, uh, we live to the place, we just take a boat to go to Tanzania. I was really far, crazy. We just survive like we just survive. I don't know how. If you ask me how you guys survive, how you guys get food, you're like I don't know. Yeah, we just get like food miraculous. Just get that we we eat and then we survive. Other people die. Other other people get sick. But finally, wow. we get yeah, we get to the boat and then the boat takes us to the our neighbor country, mm. which, which is Tanzania, where we become a refugee. Mm. And then put us there. Just they give you plastic sheetings to a uh, port, so like two car, like it depends with the uh, family size. They give you car, the metal cup, and then they just okay, go. So when you get there, you have to figure out what you're gonna do. You're gonna make a tent, you're gonna make something look like a house, because we are in the forest, and they give you a machete. So it's kind of crazy story, but I wish one day I can do that like a documentary or a movie so people can understand very well what people went through until we get to uh United States, which once we get here, it was another chance of life. See people enjoying, even if we are, we don't have too much social life, but people just enjoy their life, working, get paid, have nice car, paying the bills, but it's good that. Wow. When you arrived at the refugee camp, they gave you a machete, they gave you some plastic sheeting, and they said, go build something. H how many years were you in the refugee camp? I stayed there in the refugee camp for seven years because uh, when, when, when we get there to, to Tanzania, they didn't take us straight to the refugee camp, no. They took us to a uh, transit center where we stay there, they take all, uh, they just do all the registration, they take our identity. I think they were looking for something like if you were involved in those uh, genocide or you were involved in those group of rebels. So they have to do those investigations first before, right. they take you, yeah, before they take you guys to the refugee camp. So we get to the refugee camp in uh, 2003. Mm. Yeah, and then there we just leave. But in uh, the transit center, it was just for two weeks. Okay. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about some of the issues that you observed in the refugee camp that you wanted to address. Like what were people going through? What were your peers going through? What were youth going through that you saw like 
there was something to do. In refugee camp, I can tell you is a lot of things or like people can believe like this. It can be like a way life of people, of people what? Because once, imagine they just, you guys just get to the forest. Some they have parents, some you just get to the forest. You have like, you are, you are like 15 years old and then you have like your, your siblings, they are younger than you. So you have to figure out how you're going to just do something to make you guys survive. At that time, it's kind of tough because imagine like a 15-year-old kid is just trying to be responsible for his brothers, his sister. Maybe his, uh, his parents get killed. He got to make that to see if they're going to survive. That make people get crazy because mm-hmm. sometimes... They, they are trauma already. They have, they are already traumatized. And second, maybe they don't have enough to just do their life. That when you just see like there is a lot, lot of rapes, there is a lot of early pregnancies, a lot of STDs cause people don't protect themselves and then people just get involved for them, uh, involved for something mm. in order to survive. Right. Yeah, you can ask someone, like, maybe I need something, maybe you can help me for this, but that going to just uh, need something to pay him back. Mm. If, if I'm doing this, I'm going to need something back. So if you are, you are a teenager woman, what do you, th- you, you think? A girl, what she's going to say? A guy going to just think, oh, I'm going to get her so she can just be like, oh, she can pay me back. That's the situation, people just living in those ones. And then you just see like early pregnancies because of those situations. Some people maybe they flee with uh, some money, and then when they get there, they have something they can just uh, uh, they can give money, and then okay, I need something back. So that was just at the beginning of when we start the camp. That happened a lot, mm-hmm. but when you just get used to it, it, just become like a camp. Other people, so people just like get like a month, two months, three months there. They start to start like get used to normal life. It's not like normal life, but they just get like, okay, is this the place we are living? So we have to live there. So some people start just making some those uh, traditional alcohol. They just start doing something, and then you're gonna see some people go there drink. After when they come back, they don't know what to do. They maybe they're gonna go rape some girls there. Yeah, it's just kind of crazy. And as that is just about that situation. The second one is about the way UNHCR causes an agency used to take care of the of the refugees and w, uh, WFP, World Food Program, and International Rescue Committee, IRC. Those agencies, they were just supporting us in the refugee camp. But I can start with the food, WFP. They used to give, do like a food distribution every two weeks. And that was like, they give you a food, which if you say, I'm going to eat normally, it's going to take you like three days. But they give you that amount of food like that for two weeks. So you have to see, you have to look the way you're going to do it. And sometimes you, those crazy beans, you're going to cook beans like all day. With the firewood, you go in the forest, look for firewood, come back to cook. The, yeah, the beans just take... Uh, oh, because they're so old. Right, so old. Yeah. It, yeah, it takes 12 hours. To cook the, for the beans to become soft and edible. Yeah. Wow. Sure. 
It sounds like it was very scary and not many resources, huh? Yeah, it, it was, yeah, not many resources. It was really crazy. It was tough for me. Even myself, I couldn't imagine like I survived there for seven years, and then after that, I just get reunited mm. to start. So, life. how did you during that time in the seven years? How did you maintain your faith or your belief in humanity or your belief in yourself even in that kind of scenario? Now, one thing I can say back home, we, we just, because I'm Muslim, mm-hmm. we just, yeah, we just raised as uh, to be like, believe in God and then to know, to understand the situation and to know one thing, everything can happen with some reason. And there is only God is under control. It's only God who controls someone's life, a person's life. Mm. So all of those steps went there. I was just, I know like, this is what God made us to do. And this is make more stronger because it make me like, okay, this is life, but God has reason why he take me here. I saw a lot of people die, but I didn't die. I'm still alive. And my family is here, so there's some reason God keep me alive or keep us al- alive to accomplish something. Mm. So that makes me like stay focused. I've been there in the refugee camp for those uh, that seven years. I did I never smoke, I never drink alcohol. I was just focusing about life, trying to help others. Like mm-hmm. that, but it wasn't easy. No, I bet. Definitely not easy. Um, I know in the refugee camp, you told me one time about the youth program that you started to help the youth because you saw a lot of really difficult things going on around you. So can you tell us a little bit about that program that you started in the refugee camp? Okay, uh, I'm going to go a little bit far and then I'm going to get to that point. Okay. Then once we just get there to the refugee camp, we start living like a first year there. And then we just see the, uh, those agencies, non they are just those no government organization. They just came there to start uh, helping, start building some uh, schools to make people start going to school there. Even that one, we were just lack of activity. People just, even if some, and then it wasn't like all of the, everybody, like kids went to school there, but everybody who going to school after coming out from school, they didn't have another activity to do. So we, we had to look the way we're going to create. First, what we did create was just a soccer field. Imagine in the forest, but we made something. It wasn't like a soccer, a really soccer field, but we made something look like, okay, it's kind of a ground. We can play soccer there. It took us much time to cut those trees to make sure we make those roads, we take them out from the, the ground to make something look like a field. And then uh, we just make that one. Once we start playing their soccer, and then we just get the idea how we're going to help the kids because we start seeing a lot of early, uh, like those early pregnancies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like someone just because you're close to them, he came to you and said, you know what? I went somewhere, but I just get some issues. Every time when I tw- I'm going to be, I have e- this issue. I have this one. So because I was already learning a little bit about biology at school. Yep. Yeah. I understand. I, I know like this is the, uh, the symptoms about, for example, gonorrhea. Mm. I know uh, this is the issue. So when I just heard that, I have to tell them, okay, 
you're going to go to the hospital. It wasn't a big hospital, but it was something like those NGOs bring to get some med- med- uh, medication for who, who, have, who have get sick. So that is a way. And then by the time we just realized like we need to do something, we can go there. It's not only the soccer. Other people, they can be fun for soccer. They can just to be somewhere. We can talk, sit. And it's better to be there than just going out and then look for alcohol or look for girls. So we just create, we made a youth center. We went in the forest, we cut the trees, we bring the trees, we ask for plastic sheetings, and then we made something like a youth center like that. That's the way we started. And then we start getting some other people, some people that just get come there to the youth center. And then after that, we just yeah, like a committee, which we went to, to International Rescue Committee, that is IRC. We give them the idea about we need something like a youth center where kids can come without any problem to learn something or to do some activity better than this going to help a lot than staying in the community, in the street, doing the, those crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah, our proposal was approved. And then International Rescue Committee, yeah, came there. And they built, it was like 5,000 square feet, your center. Yeah, it was, uh, they building bricks. And then we start like that. After that, they bring a TV. And then they bring, they bring generator. They used to bring us like 25 gallons of uh, gas. So we can, that one can take us all month mm-hmm. to just watch something on the TV. Wow. Yeah, so that's the way we started. And then by then, after we start getting that one, we just went back again to International Rescue Committee. We just uh, give them the proposal about getting some services there to youth center because some youth, they can be shy to go to the hospital, talk to some people there. They have those STDs, they have pregnant, or they want to just do like those small activity. So International Rescue Committee just give us another chance to build those uh, three offices. It was just from family planning and then another one for STDs. Another one was for counseling. Wow. So we did that one there. Yeah. It made big impact until we get to like to make that youth center like friendly center with friendly services because everything was confidential. And we made it happen and it happened up to now. Even if you go back to Tanzania, every refugee camp has youth center there and then kids get like different activity there. It's so nice to have that one. That's wonderful that you help make that happen. Just your ingenuity or your desire to really be there for the kids. That's awesome. So I'm curious, that's a lot for you to balance. Also to keep your idealism with staying in the realm of reality. Yeah. And then you came to America. What did you think when you came to America? Like, what was your impression? When we were in a refugee camp, after we started those process about uh, gay resettlement, we were thinking like, okay, this is going to be like a new world. My picture was like what we see in the movie, enjoy your life. And then all my, my mind was just, I'm going to come over. Everything going to be like, okay. I'm going to just walk and then pick up dollars, just get everything I want. It's going to be easier. But when I get here, I was so excited. I see a lot of uh, houses, tall, like big buildings. And then I get there because I remember I get here, it was around 1 a.m. 
Yeah, 1 a.m. So I just came, it was just light, everything was shining. And then I look for my my wife and I look for my three kids and I say, okay, God made our dream come true because we've been dreaming everyone one day to get to the place we're going to be safe and then we're going to just live our life. So I get here, everything was fine. Next day we met some people that, yeah, for the agency welcome us. We start the life like that, but the way I was thinking, it wasn't easier, but I have to do something to make sure my family survive. If we survive in the forest, now I just get to the people and there's a city, it's a town. Everything is here, right? So I have to do something to make my my family live. I didn't know English at that time. Wow. Yeah, we had a translator. Yeah. But in my first three months, I went to learn English at International Institute. My goal was there just to make sure I used to get like those translators. But I just said, no, no, no. I don't need to translate. If this one, because the, the translator was uh, immigrant, the first one I get, like, the first two translators, all my appointments, they were immigrants. So I just feel like, no, no, no. I need something to, I, I can do something better. If this immigrant doing that, why not me? So I had to push myself to learn English yep. before going to school, but I was already mm. able to communicate in English, which made me like, up to now I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know that um, when you came to Manchester, you had, you know, a lot of hope for the future, what you could, you know, accomplish as a family and as a community, but then you saw some challenges in the community. What were those challenges and what did you decide to do? My first challenge was just how I'm going to survive. Because mm. International Institute provided us some help, but it wasn't enough. Because imagine at that time, I met someone who the first day took us to do laundry. And then after that, he was busy. It's just United States life. So he, he couldn't show up when we just need to do uh, another uh, laundry. Mm. I had to take all the, the clothes. I remember at that time, stop and shop was still there. Because I was li- my first house was in Cedar Street. It wasn't yes. far from Stop and Shop. So those are uh, carriage from Stop and Shop. That when I put my my clothes there, put one the smaller the, my my baby there on top, and then push it with my my wife. We push it up to laundry, doing laundry. It was kind of hard to just get to because it wasn't a lot of support. I was expecting international institutes gonna just help us to do all of that, but it wasn't like that. So yeah. I just feel like I have to do something to make sure my, my family is safe. So I made it, and then we start, just get used to the life. But after three months, because I get here, it was May 2010. After three months in August, that when I start working, and I was working second shift, when I start working, and every time when I came back, it was around 11.30 p.m. And at that time, I didn't, I know like this is summer. People used to say, oh, now we are in summer. But every time when I, I came back from work, I used to see a lot of kids, especially a lot of immigrant African kids around the street at that time. I used to ask myself, is this a culture or is this something? Because I don't understand how come the kids, those ages like, uh, 13, 15, 16, sometimes, and then you see another crowd, 10 up to 8, like those ages. Yeah. They are out at that time. So I've been asking myself, but because the way I am, 
I can ask, but most of the time I just do like a curiosity to see, like to learn something before I ask. So I used to ask, like to look at myself, I ask, what is this kid doing at this time here? If it's culture, why is only those immigrants there, like African kids here? So by the time I start to learn more, ask people, and then when people just tell us like, oh, those kids, yeah, those are bad kids. And I ask myself, why is that bad? Oh, you see they're on the screen? Okay. So I start to get some ideas like, okay, we're facing a different problem in, in, in Africa, in the refugee camp. But here now, we're facing another problem. Like it's kind of similar problems, but just mm-hmm. a different environment. Yeah. That's the time I start getting some ideas for doing what I've been doing there back home when I just start getting some ideas, what can I do to help this kid? What can I do for this kid to be successful? What can I do for this kid to understand where they were, where they are, and what is the future? So <laughs> that was just my question every time I've been asking myself. And then I end up to meet someone. She's from Tanzania. She used to run a Women for Women coalition. And that when we start talking about, I tell her about my experience. She was so excited and said, okay, we can start working with you. But she was working only with uh, women. That when I just started getting some ideas and she helped me meet some uh, different people. And I told them about my ideas. I, I told them about my passion. Of course, I have family. I have everything, but I have to do something to help my community where I'm living. Because I don't count any more Africa because I'm not living in Africa. First, just take care of the place I'm living. That is going to make me survive. This may make our community better. So mm-hmm. this is just the idea to create Safari Youth Club. Wow. What an accomplishment. And I know that some of the kids I was helping you maybe like a year or so ago, and you had five kids who were seniors in school. And each one of those five kids you helped get into college. And that's like a huge accomplishment. Can you tell us about some of the things in Safari Youth Club? Like, how did you help these kids succeed? Once I, I get the idea to create Safari Youth Club, in my mind, I was just thinking about uh, what can I bring to like activity which can bring the kid in so they can get just those assistance, they can just get those uh, mentoring what we're going to be providing. So I create a soccer which I know like if you say soccer, most of African kids, once you say soccer, they'll show up. So I create that soccer. When I create it, is that when uh, other kids start coming? And then when they're coming, because I have little bit experience to play a uh, semi-point back home when I was uh, 16, the kids start to get like, they were just more focused to know me better. So every time I used to see them and then show them what can you do to get to the point, what can you do to avoid this one so you can, you can just win your life? I just talk to them, and then most of the time we've been on the field talking to them. Even soccer, you have to have respect. You have to plan your life. You can't come to play soccer when you're, you're drunk. You can't come to play soccer when you're high. Or you can't mm. do better at school when you're just doing this. So I've been with them in the field and out of the field talking to them until they start doing prayer at school since we met them. And then after that, they met the scholarship. 
when they were just uh, get to the high school, they made scholarship from soccer. And I have two of them. They play in USA national team U18. That's but, incredible. Uh, and then some of them, they just get scholarship for school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have another one right now. He's in MLS, Saeed Haji. He just, I can say God knows. And I can say is why God keep me alive, make something for their lives. Well, they're lucky to have you, Hamisi, in that corner because we all need a mentor. We all need someone who's got our back, who's there supporting us, who's creating stuff so that we have space to learn and to grow and to flourish. Now, I want to thank you for everything you've done for Safari Youth Club. It's an inspiration because I know you love your community. Yeah. yeah. I have to love my community. I have to love my neighbor because back home we said the closest neighbor is way better than the relative who is far. Yeah. Because if I'm getting a problem right now, let's say my car can start, I can't say I'm going to call my, my brother who is in Indiana to come help me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to knock to uh, my neighbor's door say, oh, do you have jump starter? Can you help me to jump start my car? The neighbor is the one you have, if you just take care of them, or if you just have a good community, you're going to have a good life. You're going to be safe. But mm-hmm. if you have a community, you're going to just be like a miserable life. Because you can be fine, you can be good in your houses, but in the morning you wake up, maybe your windshield is broken. They just broke your windshield. They just pop your, your tie. If you are, you have bad neighbors. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But one thing is just your community once is good, everything will be fine for you. You have mm-hmm. to make small effort to make yourself better. But once you have good community, most of the things will work fine for you. Right. Yeah, you know, I think um, during this time of coronavirus, which is very challenging for everybody, but actually one thing it's doing is helping people think about, I got to think about my neighbor. And I think it's a value that we've become distanced from a little bit because, you know, normally I drive into work every day. I don't necessarily see my neighbors, but because I haven't been driving into work, (laughs) suddenly my neighbors become more important. And it's a time that we're caused to think. And I know that everything that you've been through in your life has caused you to think and caused you to think about what you value and what's really important. And I'm really moved by the kind of investment because I I know many times I've helped you with Safari Youth Club and you haven't had funds. And I know you go into your own pocket and kind of like the heart of whatever it takes. And that's a beautiful heart to me. Thank you. Tell me, um, you know, um, when we interview for Wholehearted, we always ask uh, the people that we're sharing with, what does it mean to you to be wholehearted? What does being wholehearted mean to you in your life? What I can say, life is a mission. And if I'm still alive right now, I feel like I still have some good mission to accomplish because I have to take care of my family. I have four kids. I have eight brothers, I have my dad, but it's not only that, it's my family. My family is you and him, is someone else, is all of us, we are family. And if you're good, I'm good. If you're bad, I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. So I, I, what I can say just, for me, it just 
to push myself to push others to get better understanding about the meaning of human being or the meaning of life especially for my community i can say to understand better why where we are coming from where we are and what we're going to accomplish to make better life and then better community for me i can say just to get to the point to push to help to support all of my community to get to the point everybody just successful in his life mm. what I, i just feel like i have to do i have to give myself my blood my time my energy to get to the point we can just feel like everybody we just go through we just knock his door we just talk to to just get a success life which mm-hmm. is like for me it's going to make me like feel like okay my uh, mission in the this earth is uh, accomplished because i don't want to see people fail mm-hmm. my goal is just to see people succeed every time my goal is just to see people living the better life mm-hmm. my goal is to see people happy my goal is just to see people love each other mm-hmm. but we have to love each other especially this place we are living imagine right now how many people we watch on the news die from coronavirus right it's just like since we get uh, the first case up to now is not even two months yet. it's like almost two months but imagine how many people they already die or they already get infected uh-huh. we still are alive we still healthy so we have to make sure we pray for those who just get sick we pray for those who just get uh, already passed away and for those who are still alive we're still healthy for god to protect us to help us so this uh this uh corona can go away and then we can just live our life yeah well thank you so much amisi and i feel so fortunate to have you as a part of my community that uh, we can be in community and also just for your heart and investment so i want to thank you so much thank you heather thank <laughs> you so much <laughs> all right okay We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you're looking for more information, check out beingwholehearted.com or you can email Heather at heather at beingwholehearted.com or leave a comment down in the comment section. Thank you so much and remember to live wholeheartedly.